Catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. In 1914, American economist William Scott outlines the four main services that commercial banks perform to be the safekeeping of money and other valuables. One, two, the making of payments. Three, the making of loans and the making of investments. Aside commercial banks, we also have, you know, like central bank, merchant banks, development banks, savings, and mortgage banks. While the primary functions of a bank may not have changed over the past 200 plus years, the methods of performing these services have transformed dramatically. The traditional banking systems were all about paper and locality, while the 21st century information age caused the banking industry to shift towards data and networks. Have the needs of customers changed much in the 21st century? The COVID-19 has advanced the use of technology in the banking sector. So what do people look out for when choosing a bank and what do you want or think that your bank should do for you? Let's hear from some people we asked before we continue. Personally, I don't really look out for anything. Um, all the banks have opened is because I was asked to open it. So I don't really look out for anything in a bank. Sincerely, I don't really look out for anything. Just so I could just keep my money. I've never had to make any considerations before opening a bank. I mean, before opening an account with a bank. The first bank account I ever opened was... And that was because it was the closest bank to my uni. The second account I ever opened was for NYC. The third bank account I ever opened, they came to do marketing. And I remember telling the person, I don't need any bank. I don't need a new bank account. I had like three or four at the time. So I've never had to make any consideration before opening a bank account. Though. But what do I expect a bank to do for me here? Yeah? Because I think... I need for my bank is an accessible customer service, like I said. So if anything goes wrong, I would like that if I place a call to the bank, I get quick response and, you know, not just quick, but helpful. I think that's it, really. Really, it's the issues I've had. It's that I just want to know that if anything goes wrong, so people are available on the other end to fix whatever it is that is wrong number one my bank should provide me with ease of banking i mean i should be able to bank with peace of mind i can't do a debit transaction in the morning and up till the next day i have not gotten an alert whether debit or credit alert it's not beautiful number two my bank should give me security my money can't be in your account my atm and my checkbook are with you and i'm still getting a debit alert from an ATM. An account you told me you've blocked is still being debited. Simply because you know that justice is not always given in this part of the world. So you are abusing all those things because you know most of your customers are powerless. No, it shouldn't be that. She shouldn't be that way. Number three, my bank should keep me on the no. If you know you're not going to have network by 10 o'clock tomorrow, I should know two days earlier. Not when I want to perform a transaction, I notice I don't have network. It's wrong, totally wrong. And then my bank should give me, my bank should be responsible to our obligations. I don't just get debit alerts from my phone for these charges and those charges of which when I was opening the account, you didn't pre-inform me that I'll be having XYZ charges on these accounts. That would have guided my decisions my decision to know if I'll still go ahead with the account or not. But then I'll open the account and then I'll be getting some funny, funny debits that I don't even know where they are coming from. 15 naira, 100 naira, they mean a lot. They are spoiling my money for me. Africa Tech Radio. And yet, so in this episode, we'll be speaking to two bankers from Nigeria, Nkemjika Okeke and Stanley Onora, on the major trends in the banking sector in the year 2021. We'll start with Nkemjika Okeke. Welcome. How are you doing today? We are doing great. Cheers to the curtains being drawn on 2021. It has been an eventful year for everyone. So we are looking forward to what 2022 holds. But at the same time, we have to take a reflection and look at what has happened in the last year 
and use that as a compass to guide our actions and our movements going forward in the next year. So we are anticipating. Okay. Again, you heard uh, the um, voices from the people who are my customers of banks. We're all customers of banks. So these people do not actually have a direct relationship with banks. Uh, what, in your view, were the trends that shaped the banking space in the year 2021? Okay. I would like to refer to a CBN circular based on a monetary policy meeting they had, which was at the beginning of the year. Uh, sorry, at the beginning of, at the ending of last year which was 2020, December. And um, if you remember, we are just coming out from the effects of um, the COVID-19 virus, the pandemic, and um, the whole economy was, in fact, the global economy was shook by that pandemic. And it's reflected here in Nigeria. Um, if I could take your mind to what we, what we call a business cycle, in situations like this, there's always a shortage of so many things. Um, shortage of manpower, shortage of resources, there is usually less supply. If I want to use some economic terms, there's less supply in the market because people are not working. And then because people are not working, there's also less demand. Now, when the monetary policy meeting was held, there were talks around different things. One of the major things was financial inclusion for Nigerians because the pandemic really showed us how people were finding it difficult to survive. Now, especially people in the you know, in the rural areas who didn't really have access to to financial, you know, financial support. And uh, so it was quite difficult for some of them who didn't even have savings, who didn't have investment to cope. And that was one of the major talking points, which was the issue of financial inclusion, as well as the issue of ensuring that credit is being given out to companies. I'll still refer back to the business cycle I spoke about. In situations like this, it's always... The banks always come to the forefront to loan, to give out credit to businesses, to establishments. And um, this is just to boost the economy and raise the economy up. So these were the two major talking points at the beginning of the at the beginning of the year. And you know, in fact, before the first quarter of the year, there were some major shakeups. Let's not forget also that that that's yeah, that's 2020, 2021 beginning was when this cryptocurrency craze started and everybody was was uh, hooked on investing. Everybody wanted to be a Bitcoin merchant, you know, an Ethereum merchant. And we saw a major trend with cryptocurrency and its effect on our own Naira and how the CBN as well stepped in to save the Naira from the effects of the crypto on the dollar, on the Naira, I mean. So these were some of the trends that, you know, we saw in 2021 and then um, we also saw the tussle for the payment service banks the psbs and uh, the mobile money banks which is something i still want to discuss on later on so these are some of the major trends you know that we saw as well as the the effects of the sars um NSARS movement which also disrupted a lot of economic you know economic um, activities in the country. So these trends was, it was, they were all centered around banking because the circular flow of money in any economy is what keeps that economy moving. And the banks are like the intermediaries who ensure money is So where an economy is in, in free fall, it is, it, is, it is necessary that the banks come in. And that's why the trends towards this year, uh, 2021, was more on financial inclusion and granting credit to businesses to make sure that they were able to shake off themselves from the effects of the pandemic. Okay, very interesting. All right, uh, Inkem, let's move over to you swiftly. Uh, Stanley, rather, what trends do you think shaped the banking space in 2021? Hearing from Inkem, he says credit to businesses, financial inclusion, the effect of crypto and all of that. But for you, what trends do you think shaped the entire banking space in this year? Inkem, I listened to Inkem and he was really insightful. So I'm going to take it up from where Inkem stopped. He talked a lot about like financial inclusion and like the cryptocurrencies. I'll say one of the things that shaped the Nigerian banking space, whether we accept it or not, there are other factors. There were there was devaluation that affected um, the inflation in the country, and all of them still coming out of the COVID era. But I think cryptocurrencies has played a major part in 
decisions that have been taken by the central bank this year. One was the one of the circulars that the CBN came out with, you know, banning cryptocurrencies. And then following up that release of the Inera, that was a very major step. You know, what it takes for a for a country to say we're going to create an alternative an alternative um, this thing um currency, almost the same thing as what you have as fiat, but now we're going digital. They didn't just take up that decision because there was a necessity for it, but it was it was on the fact that a lot of young Nigerians were adopting cryptocurrencies and using them as their store of value and you know their major store of value and abandoning their thereby causing lots of inflation. So the CBA had to step in. I'll say a lot around cryptocurrencies, number one, and the government acting ways that could, could sustain um, small and medium scale businesses. I'm talking about PSBs and challenger banks. I'll say one of the greatest underdogs of this year has been the PRS business. You know, it's been it's it's been greatly overlooked, and that silently shifts Nigeria's cash supply and transactions. The PRS business, not the cryptocurrencies, but I think PRS was a major talking point after PRS cryptocurrencies. So I'll say everything revolved around the digital world. So that's my own take on 2021. Okay, um, a very quick one. Um, very quick one. And I want this to be maybe, let's say, in less than a minute. Stanley, do you think the e-Naira will save Nigeria either now or in the future? And I want Inkem to quickly comment on that before we move on to like the next thing we'd have to ask. I don't think at the moment, for what it stands for, I do not think so. Okay, how about in the future? In the future, yes, if other factors like macroeconomics come into play and all that, not... The inera people, the essence of the inera is Naira as itself. People are abandoning everything that has to do with Naira. So it, it bringing in inera is not going to make it any different. One Naira is equal to one inera. So yeah, people are looking for alternative means of saving their money and having a store value. Okay, Nkem, what do you think? I think the inera was more of a reactionary move from CBN. Um, it was, I, I see it as something that was just put in because of what they felt was a challenge on the Naira by cryptocurrency. So they needed a store of value that, you know, that would somehow dissuade people from, you know, storing their money with the with the cryptocurrencies. So I think for I think for the e Naira it's just a reactionary move. And so I don't really see it um, having having that desired effect in the short term. In the long term as well, if well, if the various, like my colleague said, if the various indices are being put in place, yeah, it might likely have a stronger hold. But for now, it's just a reactionary move. So it's, it doesn't really hold water. All right, Nkem. Now, um, let's narrow down the discussion, okay? For me personally, this year, I had issues with customer experience when it comes to my banking needs. Many times I just find out that I see different debit alerts and I'm like, how come from where to where? And I, and I need someone to just explain to me, okay, this and this and this is the reason why we debited this certain amount of money from your account. But then again, I do not get that customer um, experience fulfilled. I don't get that. I don't get anyone attending to my needs as a customer. So how would you say that the banking sector fared in the areas of financial inclusion and customer experience in the year 2021? In terms of financial inclusion, I'll start from financial inclusion. Like my colleague had said earlier, and I really appreciate his thoughts on that, um, he said something with regards to the POS business and how it has become one of uh, a major indice of uh, of financial inclusion in Nigeria. In terms of that, you know, financial inclusion part, I think the bank has made giant strides. Um, not just the banks, but um, we have also been helped by um, digital banks, like, like as 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 my colleague Adelia said, as some of these digital banks. Uh, has made it easier for us to reach out to those underserved parts of the population in other you know, parts of the country who do not have access to these financial services. And I'm sure with the introduction of the mobile money banks as well, we would likely see an even greater, an even greater reach to the underserved by next year. So that is one of, that's one of the things we should be looking out for. I'm sure most people were saying the mobile money is a challenge to the banks, but I, I really don't see that. If you've gone through the CBN um, circular on that, it is it's very clear that most of those or some of these um, mobile money banks would likely be partnering with commercial banks 
to deliver those services. So it's not a one-month show. It's um, it cuts across board. So yes, in terms of financial inclusion, the banks, you know, chaired by the central bank, have been making giant strides. And by next year, we expect to see even greater impact on other sectors of the economy. In terms of customer experience, customer experience is is a generic word. You can use it in different ways. And um, customer experience differs by personality, differs by gender, it differs by by tribe as well. What one person experiences and you know sees it as nothing might be something someone else experiences and wow, it's it's a lot to take in. So I think in terms of customer experience for the bank, um, it has I would I would say it again that it has been a very turbulent and tough period, and um, the banks have been trying to infuse technology because no matter how you want to see it, it is it is it's very difficult for you know people like persons humans to have the reach to serve. You know the, what you know what we term the population of Nigeria. Imagine maybe one person, one customer service officer trying to respond to the requests and complaints of three hundred to five hundred people is overwhelming. You know, it's 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 draining on that person. So, one of the ways by which the bank could be looking to work more on this customer experience is to deploy technology. And some banks have already started doing that. For want of reason, I wouldn't want to call names. Some banks have already started doing that. And I'm sure by the next year, we'll be seeing a greater and a better um, customer experience for customers of the bank. I want to apologize. Like you said, you said you had a debit, a debit deduction. And I'm sure maybe your bank must have apologized some way or the other to you with regards to that. Either there must have been a reversal or there must have been an explanation for why that debit was taken. So some of these things are... There are some of the things that you know occur in service delivery. Like I said, with technology, the banks would aim to go much higher and um, solve those issues. Okay, uh, I really do hope that um, you know Gloria has been apologized to by her bank somewhere along the line. I pray. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Stanley, uh, do you have any contrary views um, on how much the banking sector has fared in financial inclusion and um, customer experience? Oh, I'm just going to add to what my colleague has said, Jose Kim has said. Let me start with the customer experience. Coming from 2020 and the whole COVID era, I don't think in our lifetime we have had a lockdown where nobody moved around. Maybe probably during an election period and we knew it was maybe for a day or two, but in our lifetime, nobody had seen what has happened. So we saw a lot of move to the digital space and with the whole world going into the digital space, people were in their houses and needed to make calls. People were getting defrauded and needed to make calls. They needed somebody to act fast. And transaction figures doubled, tripled for some banks. Because people were not going out, they needed to make, they needed to conclude transactions. So people were adopting the USSD codes, mobile apps, they were going to POS agents to do transfers. So you notice that the transaction count across banks tripled, if not double tripled for some banks. I know some tier three banks that weren't getting traction, but what people noticed were, okay, if I go to one tier one bank now, maybe they have too many customers, that's why they are not attending to me. They opened one of these accounts with one of these tier three banks and, you know, they had like a surge. So, yes, that's in its stride too. Had a lot of, with more transactions, you had more fuel transactions and they needed to, they needed to attend to those customers. It was a lot on so many banks. They were short staffed, like, he, like when he started, he talked about manpower shortage and all. So, one or two banks that, you know, started working a lot on moving their people into the digital space. So you could conclude, start, start like a reversal. You wanted to do your change of phone number or you have like this complaint, you, you don't need to call. You could just get an explanation from one of these um, this AI platforms. I know like um, like UB has their Leo, Access Bank has their own and all. So they're looking for ways. Then they adopted like, you know, the WhatsApp platforms where you could your to your complaints. All those things is in a big to, you know, attend to customers promptly. They still have a lot to do because, like, there's a, there are so many Nigerians, there are so many people that in Nigeria is not just one market where you say, oh, one person, you know, you come and speak English for everybody. Yes, of course, you're supposed to speak broken. That's the only way they will understand. Then up north, you need to you need to speak their language for so many people to understand. That's where I'm in the banking space. So I'm saying the banks are doing a lot on the customer experience side. 
then in financial inclusion, still that brought in like some so many people were propelled, not because they they were because of people were not moving around. How would you how would you transact? How would you get money? People needed to send money to you. Would you be using Mama and Kichi's accounts that you've been using? Why don't you just dial the short code? You can open an account and go to the bank and regularize. And a lot of people got into the fold. So I'll say yes, like I started with, I said the POS model, um, POS model has helped a lot. It's something that, you know, I was even um, talking to my friend the other day about, it's been the underdog for the past one year plus. A lot of banks right now, there's a shortage of cash during this Christmas period. You go to so many ATMs, you don't see cash. You go to the bank, they're like, okay, come and take 15 naira, come and take 200 naira. But you walk out to these POS agents and they are the ones that can give you the money that you want. So, so many people are not even going to, I know um, I had an association of people that wanted to open an account for, and they said they don't do traditional banking anymore because they use their peers to do their transactions. And these are people that sell, um, uh, this Calabar community that sell Okazi and all those things that they use to prepare Afang soup and the rest. So that's their own method. They get buyers, they get suppliers, they're in this big hub, they come, they have POS agents all around them with their different platforms. And they just help them send the money, they give these guys the money, and that's it. So that has helped a lot in financial inclusion. And going into 2022, I'm going to expand on this. So yeah, that's my own take on financial inclusion. And All right. Real-time transactions, automation of bank processes, and personalization now. This is some of the selling points of most uh, challenger banks in Africa. So what is your take on the growing number of challenger or digital banks? So who should I ask now, Stanley or Nkim? Okay, Nkim, let's, let's come to you. All right, so what's your take on the growing uh, number of challenger or digital banks in Africa? Okay, I don't know. The word challenger, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, yes. Um, yeah, the, these, are, these are, of course, some of the pecs, I'll use that word, um, some of the pecs that the digital banks um, provide or they give as, you know, as a way to, to differentiate them from what the traditional banks do. Um, I would like to go back, I would like to refer you back to your earlier comments on the four, on the key points or the key reasons why a bank is being set up. And um, for commercial banks, the banks stand on that principle. It's a principle that is even upheld even by the CPN itself because they want to make sure that the banks focus on their core functions, their core functionalities. Now, um, the challenger banks or these digital banks, uh, yes, I would not deny that they have made payments a bit seamless or seamless easier than what you might what you might have with um, the commercial banks. But let's also take into cognizance the fact that um, these banks are not they are not serving the wide reach of people like what commercial banks do. Some banks serve a very wide range of people. And, and um, while those banks have, those challenger banks have the leverage of digital, of, of going digital, um, in the long run, you cannot compare, I want to go, I want to go a little bit into financial. So you cannot compare the asset base of, um, of uh, let's say the banks in terms of infrastructure, in terms of facilities with um, some of these challenger banks. So of course, yes, you might hear astronomical figures that they say these banks are what, but let us note that these figures that are being called as the what of these banks, I'll use an example of, um, I can't remember the name, that it says what, you know, over five banks. Now, um, those some of those what's or some of those values are, are both future and intrinsic. So some of them cannot really be held. Some of them cannot be felt. Some cannot be touched. Um, in, terms of the, in terms of the traditional banks we have, they have the network. They have the infrastructure. And um, I see it as an opportunity for, for the commercial banks to leverage and work with these digital guys and not scare them away or not see them as a challenge, but work with them together to... to provide better services for not just Nigerians, but even the African banking space. Because um, if you take a note of, let's say the, the free trade um, agreement, continental free trade agreement, 
Now, if you observe carefully, after that um, agreement was made, some banks started to poach. I'll use that word, but poach or pitch, you know, started to go to other countries and pick out um, certain banks that they, they took over or they merged with or they, you know, they had some form of relationship with. And what was the essence of that? The essence was to build, you know, that rapport because when the future um, agreement comes up, payments will need to be made faster across the continent. And if these challenger banks want to stand on their own, it might be a bit difficult for them. Yes, they are giving us the seamless payments and everything, but let's not forget that the infrastructure still lies with some of the bigger banks, you know, that are being played, that are playing in the industry. So, yes, they are challenger banks, but they would need to come in partnership with Nigerian, uh, with uh, commercial banks, and work closely with them if they would want to really achieve as much as they want to achieve in the banking industry mm. on the payment platform. Mm. Well said, Nkem. Well said. Uh, what about you, Stanley? What do you think? Um, like he has made he has made one or two points, and I'm just going to expand on that. Like for the let me start with the infrastructure. You talked about asset base of banks. You can't compare the asset base of say and uh, of an access bank or uh, this thing, except like valuations that some of the fintechs have. But now you notice another trend. Um, most of the banks are moving into holding companies. If you notice that GTCO and the rest. So what they are trying to do is, I remember um, the I remember the CEO of Access Bank one time, I think that was two, last last year or two years ago, where he said um, that he that the banks need to either adopt fintechs or die. I, I remember him making that comment. I don't know where. I think that was, I don't know what platform he was making. He made that comment. And that stuck with me. It meant something. Um, Shrego Abadji of, um, of GT had come out almost openly to, to talk about GT being almost like a challenger to fintechs in, in a sense. But the major, the major infrastructure for most of what the banks rely on, say the BVN, the KYC details, and all, where all these are products of like commercial traditional banks, and that they've used over time, and these fintechs are relying on them to function properly. They don't have like conducting proper KYC, but like these banks have built some of this infrastructure and these networks. So it's going to be a lot easier for them. For what I feel is for the underbanked, you can't come to a place like deep down in, let me use this village in Nasarawa State, where for a bank, for uh, for a full bank to go there and establish a branch, establish a presence, it doesn't make any. Uh, it doesn't make. It's not feasible for them as as an entity. It's not profit driven. They will only just incur losses by going to just deploy that kind of resource there. But challenger banks reach these people, and eventually, when they get to these people, maybe get them to open an account, and oh, they then understand what it feels like to have like a traditional bank, and then they want to then upgrade. Some of these guys can't do transactions worth up to one million. And some of them are farmers that like have like very huge harvests that run into millions. How do they how do they conclude these transactions? Somebody they go out, people come to pay them, and they pay into somebody's account that then gives them the money later. But by the time they've gotten the feel of, oh, I can do this thing myself, I can do these transfers, I have this QS person that does this for me. They then understand some of these processes and then are encouraged to open traditional banks. And mind you, some of the, most of these um, challenger banks. Are not licensed to give loans, except the guys that are, except the ones that are um, the loan apps and all. But they are not licensed to give loans. They are just to operate like um, transactions, deposit money, and help transfer, mm. which is where the 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 um, traditional banks come into play. And going forward, I see most of them restructuring into being like into adopting buying over. That's what I feel. Like in the next few years, you're going to see a lot of um, um, commercial banks that we have now buying this by trying to buy over these fintechs or growing in their own their own kind of fintechs to add up to their own system. It's interesting. We have Inera on the we have Inera already, and combining that with everything that we have, I think the future is pretty interesting. 
Amazing. Amazing. Still on to you, Stanley. Uh, you mentioned something that many of these banks are not licensed to give loans, but do we see them still giving loans out irrespective of the fact that they're not licensed to do so? Oh, it's if you are operating a PSB, um, if you're a service bank, you're not licensed to give loans. You are, you are, your, your scope is limited to transactions. So unless you have applied to be, so for the example, for things like Fair Money, for example, I know like Fair Money that started off as a loan app trying to give small credits to people. So now those ones now realize that they needed people to get, um, they needed, as much as they were giving loans, they were just giving loans, they transferred the money directly to the bank that you provide. They then went for a microfinance like license. So they could then have like, that license where they open an account for you, credit you, and then you run the account under their own platform instead of going out to just transfer the money. So that's where the, so you need to apply for the license. If you are going to be like proper loan agent, you need to get that. Okay. Or you're going to be a PSV. PSVs are not allowed to have um, loans on. And I don't think if you go, if you contravene that, the CBN is pretty strict. And the banks too, you know, they are watching these PSVs because telcos, Telcos are the lifeline. Even they are the lifeline of banks currently. Telcos are the king. So if a telco has a license to be like a bank, the telcos can, I think they, yeah, them use MTN, for example, MTN and Airtel. It's easy for them to knock off like a tier three bank, like in space of, in space of one, two years, because they have, they have the technology. And most of us, like this, this call that we're making now, we're relying, we're relying on a telco. So it's easier for them to have that reach, it's easier for them to migrate customers, it's easier for them to operate the digital the digital portion of, of uh, banking with with maybe one or two bank um, infrastructure. So yes, that's why the CBN is pretty strict. They want to they want to retain, they want they have businesses. These are these are businesses that have been up for years. So they are trying to see how to balance both of them whilst giving people access, whilst encouraging Nigerians to financial inclusion, still keep the old, the old guards where they are making their money while the new entrance to have the episode of pie. Okay. All right. And I've been itching to ask this. Uh, let me just do this now. Now, why exactly do the digital or challenger banks not charge? Um, I don't know if Gloria has noticed it. Most of them do not charge, if not all of them. That's Transfer one of the things. fees. They don't charge anything whatsoever. Yeah, Most of yeah. them, that's like the selling point. Yeah, yeah. What's Why exactly can they do that and the regular traditional banks cannot? Like, you know, right? No, no, no. Like, I want to hear from them. <laughs> <laughs> Can we not answer that? <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Um... Uh, I would I would want to compare the banking the business of banking. Um, it goes two ways. Um, commercial banks are in the business of banking. They have a lot of facilities. They have a lot of things to take care of. They have a lot of workers on their payroll. They have a lot of infrastructure to look out for and look after. And um, some of all these smaller, um, like you said, PSD banks and the like. They really don't have as much infrastructure. Now, um, take this on a financial note. Uh, let's say, let's say for instance, um, like fair money. Stan, you just talking about fair money, right? Yes, yes, I did. Exactly. So let's say for instance, fair money. Um, fair money services 200 customers. Now, at the initial stage of fair money's growth, they are looking at capturing the market. That is a major thing for them. So they, they don't mind dropping down those costs uh, because their aim is to get to the market. And they can, they can do that easily or easier because uh, probably they have, have some form of information about some of all these people, which is why sometimes you see, I don't know if you've seen that trend recently, where people will collect loans from this small and businesses, and then if maybe perhaps by mistake, like the one I noticed last week, I there was someone I gave my phone number to in the banking hall, and um, I don't know the guy, so I, there was a transaction he did, and he needed my phone number. I said, okay, that's fine. I gave him my phone number. Two days later, I saw a WhatsApp message on my phone that 
He's a defaulter. He's owing somebody money. He's owing a, a microfinance money. And if he doesn't pay in the next three days, that uh, they will come and arrest him. You know, they were just, it was like it, it was like they were threatening me. And I don't know these guys from anywhere. I don't know the guy from anywhere. So some of banks, some of these banks that um, that have been trying to get Are you there? Who are trying to build their base. Okay. Okay, we lost you for a bit, yeah. but you can continue. Okay. So for let's expand the market. Let's get the market because that's the more important for us. And then at the end of the day, they are giving out some of these loans that they are finding difficult to recoup back. And why they are giving out the loans free in the first place is they want to attract people to come. So when you come in, and you start taking the loans, you start then it's, it starts to change. The, the bit starts to <laughs> the bit starts to change for you. You know, you might go from a zero interest to hidden interest charges. You can see some one point five percent somewhere that they will tell you is some national fee or something, something. So they they their marketing strategy is basically zero cost, you know. And on the outlay, it looks like a zero cost, but when you start to pay back, you start getting some few charges some little um, administrative fees, let me use that word, right? So that is that is their own strategy. For a commercial bank, the commercial bank is into the business of banking and they know that for each of these transactions that take place, we need to recoup money, we need to pay pay bills, and we need to um, sort out the infrastructure. So that is basically, for me, that is what I feel is different. Okay, so Stanley, yeah. do you have anything different to say? Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to add to. I was just say he, um, you know, there's cost of acquisition of this co customer acquisition cost. Like everyone has a customer acquisition cost. These banks, I'm sure when I'm sure when um when the likes of um, say Zenith or or Access or FCMB, when probably when they started at the initial time, they had some benefits that they were offering customers. Say, come, I remember one time was it the which of these banks that was doing free debit cards? I think Kuda is even doing free debit cards at the moment. So these are just methods of trying to get people. Like um, Kim said, it's your for technology business. If you know about technology businesses, there is a provision for loss for customer acquisition because they expect they have all this all those offers that they give. So there's a cost. There's a cost for transaction. Somebody must pay that cost. The cost doesn't just disappear. Not because you use there isn't MTN's infrastructure. So if you know about the USSD. Um, dilemma, which we spoke about on this platform, you know that there's a cost for each transaction that you conduct on the USSD platform. Somebody must pay that cost. Is the so some of these banks are willing to because of the small base that they have, like in came right. We said these people have some of them have like one thousand customers, and out of that one thousand customers, how many of them are active customers? So you have like a hundred customers or two hundred customers that are active at the, at that initial time. They can bear that cost, hmm. but as they expand. You don't expect an access bank, for example, or a Zenith bank or a first bank that has um, millions of customers. See, most of them have above a million active customers. And you have expect someone to now bear the cost for a million active customers. Then what are the incentives? You're running diesel, you have a head office, you have government and your you have the, your payroll, your expense is huge. So if there's anything, you can't bear those costs. And they are profit-driven. Another thing you need to know is that they are most of this the banks are PLCs, they are traded, they are they are listed, and they need to declare dividends for most of their most of their shareholders. They need to make money. So they are strictly profit driven. As much as they are trying to render excellent services to their customers, they need to make money to shareholders and you know to remain in business. Mm. So yes, that's why you can get some of those costs from small business. Okay, I see. Now, still with you, Stanley, Nigeria, one of the biggest news during the year was the telcos and banks tussle. All right, another big one was MTN and Airtel getting approval in principle to launch mobile money services in Nigeria. Now, should these mean anything for the banks or the banking sector? Yeah, um, well, I... I I, I heard about MTN's PSB in 2000, 
2017, I think 2017, 2016, when they started, yeah, when they started making inroads, the banks, the banks as we have them now, fought them. Like the banks, because they are the ones, they're the bankers committee. They had, all the CEOs are sitting there. They know the implication of, say, an MTN rendering all the services that they render. Like not all of them do it definitely, but most of the services, which are what um, the day-to-day Nigerians just want, you know. I want my money. They want to transfer money to him now. That's what I want to do. I want him to transfer money back to me and to spend money. That's mostly what people do. They don't do the higher end of banking where they do international trade and all that. So they understand. They understood the implication of um, these telcos having PSVs, and that's why they had. I think they had, that's why most of it was delayed. And if you read the modalities of what the PSVs are doing, it's not far fetched from what some of the smaller fintechs too are doing just that they are going to have a higher reach um you it's for me sitting as a bank ceo i'll look at this holistically and be like yes is a is a bit of a threat but in the long run these guys are not offering loans they are not allowed to offer loans so if you can't offer loans as it is to customers which is where you're supposed to make bulk of the money because the traditional banking is supposed to be like from the sub from the surplus to the deficit take from these people give this as a commission that's what truly banking is supposed to be that the old um banking as we as we define it so i xyz has 100 million then this person needs 10 million i give him 100 because i'm keeping your money at 100 million for four percent i'm giving this person this money at 16 percent the spread in between becomes my profit so as long as you can do that so the the banks have a bit of a leverage, while they are still while they are still making inroads into into fintechs, trying to partner with fintechs, trying to get their own their own um, IT sections as robust as possible. That's why the IT jobs in the banks are heavily competed over now. So everybody's trying to be in that space. So for for MTN for Airtel, I don't see them disrupt, disrupting Nigeria's market so much. We've had um, MTM money for a while. I don't know how many people are subscribed on it. Um, I think um, we've had one or two. I don't know. Airtel's one hasn't been really operational, but MTM money has been something that has been there for a while. They are just going to expand on that. But the banks, as we have them, are, um, I think in the long run, I don't think they're going to be disrupted. So they don't have very much to worry about. Hmm. Cam, do you also think so? Do you have think along the same lines? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I perfectly agree with what um, Sassanali said. Perfectly agree with it. And um, I, I will take what MGN and Airtel are doing as, uh, how would I put it? Okay. I'll take it as, uh, you know, trying to be everywhere at the same time. Which, which is not really, is not really ideal um, for a business. You, you are into the business of telecommunications. You are trying to move into payments. You, are, you know, these the, the banks have have been structured in such a way that um, they 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 are the conduits or what we like or the passageways for which money comes in and flows all through the economy. So if if um, just like he said, if MTN and Co have been in existence since and they have had their Momo money, yeah, that should be Momo money or so. If they've had their Momo money and it's not really gone that way, it's clear that the the commercial banks will always have the upper hand. You know, they will always have the upper hand in that regard. Hmm. Okay, so let's look at yeah. Just sorry, just. Okay. Oh, I want to just add one thing. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you know, like um, a lot of countries. I don't know if we're aware that a lot of countries do not have instant transfer. NIP that we have, like instant transfer, interbank transfer, yeah. as we have it in Nigeria. Egypt just um uh, embraced that a few weeks ago. Just I think uh, last month. A or so. few weeks ago. So yeah, so that's why so many people when when you hear about a lot of innovation, like um. Card and um, pin, pin and chip that has been on our card. US adopted it how many years ago? They've been doing the whole swipe. So you realize that some of these things that technology that they are bringing in, what they were supposed to do, in the sense that I transfer money to you and I'm getting instant value. A lot of banks have been operating on that model in Nigeria. We've had NIP, which is 
what do Nigerians really want? I want to transfer money to you now and somebody gets it immediately. Do you have an um do you have a first bank account? Do you have a Zenith account? If you don't have, just go, just carry ID card or, or dial star, this that, 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 and you can get an account, just go back to the bank, take your ID card, and then you can regularize the account. The account is open for you instantly. So the banks already, I think, have that, which is what is supposed to be what this some of these PSBs will have win their their highest selling points, which other countries they don't have. In the sense of the impasta in Kenya and the rest of them and some other countries. But we have instant transfer that people rely on and it's reliable. So yes, the banks do have like a huge, huge, huge advantage. Okay. So now let's look at the regulation, um, area of regulation. Uh, uh, the trends and innovation in the banking space, um, are they being regulated to encourage development? What uh, kind of regulations do you think defines 2021 banking space? Before now, um, um, we already mentioned the regulation on cryptocurrencies. Um, what impact did these regulations have on the space? And are the regulations doing more good than bad to the banking um, sector? And Kem, let's start with Kem. Okay, so you've spoken already on cryptocurrency regulation. Um, I think we've dealt on that already. And the impact has already been felt. In fact, it had a ripple effect because the government had to, through the CBN, had to find a lot of ways to plug. It was like a leaking hole, you know, it, it tore one place and everywhere started opening. And that was what the effect of that cryptocurrency had because it, it crippled the value of uh, the value of the naira as against the dollar. Most of the cryptocurrencies are usually exchanged for dollars. So when that happened, you had a lot of monies moved more towards the dollar and it kept on weakening naira. Now, another regulation that came up, I don't know if you're aware of that, is the money transfer regulation or money transfers where it was where they stipulated that uh, money transfers uh, transfers from international remittances and the likes should be done to only come like an inflow. There was a, a suspension at some point on outflows of international remittances. So one of those things was to stop the flow dollar, right? And to help to cushion the effect of what the cryptocurrency had already done on the Naira. So those two regulations in some way was was um, helpful in ensuring that um, it was able to stabilize our currency for a while. It's not still stable entirely, but at least it's it's it send it crashing down entirely completely. So those two regulations were quite important for the banking space in itself and not just the banking space but for Nigerian customers as well. Okay, let's get to Stanley. Yeah, I, I, I agree with him. I think the major talking points were the cryptocurrency ban and then the the I don't know if they reduced the circular concerning remittances. Yes, they did about remittances, yes, but the other side where they were talking about limiting the amount you take from your dollar account and all that in a bid to prevent like a lot of people transferring. Then there was that whole phone error for phone error for every dollar that you receive into your account still in order to boost um, FX into the economy. All those were just major talking points, which were which are directly related to our. Uh, I don't think they were. I think they were, it were just were being reactionary. The major things that were preventing money coming and um, uh, foreign direct investments coming into Nigeria were other macroeconomic issues, security, um, and infrastructure, and not predominantly cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies were now an avenue people were using to to bypass the limitations they had on sending money. If I wanted to send money to China and I can't send more than $20,000 or I can't even source, all I need to do is, you know, buy Bitcoin, sell to somebody in China. The person in China goes to a local exchange, sends the money, they get him, they get the RMB and that's it. So they were just means of bypassing that. So I think those were just the major, major policies that shaped and yes, you ask the question, if, how has this, has it been, is it about regulating and preventing innovation? Well, Nigeria is, as much as we want, is a third world country and we have our challenges. The central bank is, is always trying to fight 
how are we going to balance the economy? How are we to balance the naira if we allow it to just go like free fall, like just follow the market trends without putting without putting capital controls? What happens to us? What happens to the country? Then on the other side, like how are they trying to catch up to innovation? So that's where you see them coming up with things like Inera. So they need to catch up innovation and catch up with the rest of the world so they're not left behind while still being limited on the other hand. And that's why things like Inera will not gain as much traction because if you're telling me like, oh, you're preventing this and you're bringing up this whole policy when I'm not seeing the essence of it. So I think some of them are reactionary and not well thought out. Yes, they have good intentions, but well, regulators, I think that's the burden that most regulators have trying to balance most of that. So yes, that's my own take. Okay, um, finally, Nkem, in one sentence, just describe 20 year 2021, that I mean, in relationship with you no know, banking and the banking space generally in 2021. One major thing with uh, 2021's, um, the banking in 2021 is that the, the pandemic created a shift or a change in the way the bank um, and listen to the views of customers. So it changed the entire landscape of the banking industry and helped the bank to uh, provide better services and you know develop more customer centricity. Okay, beautiful. And Stanley, in one sentence, uh, one description. Um, I will say the banks have realized that we are that the world is going digital and that they need to catch up. And there are a number of challenges all around if they do not step up. And I think they are trying to live up to that bidding in customer experience, financial inclusion, and adopting a new way of doing business going forward. So 2022 is going to be pretty interesting and going forward. So that's what I think. We're looking forward to it. Now, though fintech in Africa is growing in leaps and bounds, at the foundation of everything fintech is doing is tied to traditional banking. Also, other issues related to banking like decentralized finance, digital banking, digitizing of customer interaction process data, info and inside financial services and internal processes, the AFCFTA and its implication for banking on the continent, and also the decade-long question. Would we still need banks as they are now in the nearest future? Should we expect a transition in less than a decade? We would like to have your opinion on what the future of banking looks like. So text us or send us a voice note via WhatsApp and during I one three five five eight one seven six six. And yes, we've been speaking to two bankers from Nigeria, Nkem Jikao Okeke and Stanley Onora on the major trends in the banking sector in the year 2021. Thank you, Nkem Jikao Okeke. Thank you. And thank you, Stanley Onora. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.